They will trade all the parts for the best car. I'm not going to trade anything. These are my parts. They stole them from me. You understand this? really love Star Wars and and obsessed over it in, in many different ways. And, and what was always cool about Star Wars was that it was a galaxy. And therefore, as a kid growing up, I always felt that there were stories within that galaxy that I could be a part of and was a part of telling, even if it was just me and my friends or me by myself with my action figures. <laughs> Milkers everywhere, welcome to episode number 290 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. This week, we are talking about the Rick Famuiwa trilogy of Mandalorian episodes. We're talking about the child, the prisoner, the believer. I don't know, these are episodes that really, really resonate still i think about these episodes more almost more than a lot of the other ones the obvious common thing in all of these is they are by the great rick famu iwa no you're right because it is like it's hard to pick favorite episode or who is the best director on mandalorian because they all are so good and have their their high points but i think if you look at the range of what happens in those three episodes and the fact that they're all the same director, I think does kind of put him a little above everyone else as far as like his three episodes are at the same time, very similar, but also very different from each other where I think some of like Deborah Chow's episodes are excellent, but they're kind of almost like two of the same episode in a way, you know, other people have only had one episode, but yeah, there's just something about his episodes that are just extra, extra special and are the ones, like you said, that you just keep thinking about all, you know, two years later. I, I think of like the Bryce Dallas Howard episodes, like from Sanctuary to The Amazing, The Heiress, like two completely different tones and flavors of episodes between the two seasons. But yeah, the Rick Famuyiwa episodes, 
I'd say especially the prisoner and the believer. I, I see. I think you have to keep the child in there too, because the child, and you know, we'll get into it as we get more into each episode. Remember, that's the one that has almost no dialogue in it. Yeah. Well, and the the child is still in my top three Mandalorian episodes of all time ever. It's just a tour de force of amazing, beautiful insanity. I feel like a lot of his episodes, though, they don't get the love and attention that they should a lot of the time. I don't see them brought up as much as I feel like they should be. And part of the reason I think I keep thinking about them and they're the ones that keep resonating with me is they're the ones that really kind of ask questions that aren't afraid to go into that deep Star Wars stuff that we love. Start digging up some deep thoughts. And the fact that, you know, the believer, which is one of the deepest of the deep thought ones, and one that's basically all about characters talking to each other and all about, you know, the humanity of taking off either your literal or your kind of symbolic helmet and connecting with people is the same guy who did the episode that has no humans in it and hardly any dialogue and was able to basically make those two almost completely opposite styles of storytelling both work and work exceptionally well. Well, that kind of leads us to what what we're going to be talking about in this episode is all of these episodes as diverse as they are, as outstanding as they all are, they all have similar themes in common with each other, and they all relate back to Rick's earlier work. There's a running theme through all of this, through all of his work from pre-Star Wars to his work he's done on The Mandalorian. And I don't know, like in getting ready for this episode and re-watching some of his pre-Mandalorian work and all of his episodes, he really could be one of the most exciting people working with Lucasfilm today. Just for the the things he's talking about, the way he's approaching the material, his perspectives. Yeah, I felt bad watching some of his movies this week that I hadn't seen because it's like, why didn't I watch these before? Because they're really good. And yeah, I think... I forget that, you know, one of the reasons he is so good is he has a lot of experience. He's been doing this. His first feature film came out in 1999. So he was definitely, other than Favreau, like the, you know, the senior, most experienced member of the season one director crew. Well, and just like George Lucas and so many before him, he went to USC and his student film, one of his student films from USC from 1996, this movie Blacktop Lingo that first started getting him a lot of attention, that is available on YouTube. And it makes sense when you watch it that it did just what it did, that it started opening up the doors for him, making a, his first feature in 1999. And I think kind of like when his name came out as one of the Mandalorian directors for season one, And the one thing that most people knew him from was Dope, which came out in, what, 2015? It's like he wasn't one of the people you would immediately pick maybe after watching Dope and be like, that guy should direct Star Wars. (laughs) Well, Dope is an amazing movie that we're going to be getting into. I think there's like this 
common misconception that people that direct Star Wars can only do either sci-fi or action movies before that. Like if anybody makes, you know, a sci-fi movie, like Dune comes out and everyone's like, that guy should make Star Wars, you know, or Christopher Nolan sneezes and someone's like, that guy should make Star Wars. You know? <laughs> but that's not really the Lucasfilm way. And Rick kind of coming on is almost like the most Lucasfilm thing they could do, like with Deborah Chow and everyone on Mandalorian. Yeah, and he is definitely, you know, an example of why that isn't the case, that you don't need to have someone who only makes sci-fi action movies make a new sci-fi action movie or Star Wars because someone like Rick who's coming from movies that are really about characters and relationships between friends and they have a lot of dialogue and talking that knowing how to tell a story and make an entertaining movie translates to other genres and when you're working with ilm and the people at lucasfilm who know how to make these kind of special effects action things they can work together to make something as good or better as from as any other director which we've seen with his Mandalorian episodes. There's a great quote from Rick in um, Phil Shostak's The Art of Mandalorian uh, Season 1 book, where he says, Star Wars was the first film I saw in a theater, and I made a couple of -of coming-of-age films inspired by American graffiti. The spirit of Star Wars has always been about young dreamers, and John gave the Mandalorian the spirit of collaboration where directors are all in this together, telling the same story but bringing their unique perspective into it. When I love him saying that right there in the beginning, too, that he made a couple coming-of-age movies inspired by American graffiti, at least for me watching Dope, And looking at it through that American Graffiti kind of lens, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, in his first movie, The Wood, is the same sort of thing. I mean, it's basically, if American Graffiti is a genre, The Wood is the American Graffiti genre of, you know, semi-autobiographical stories about coming of age as a kid and instead of cruising in... Northern California in the late 50s, this was, you know, growing up in Inglewood, California and Southern California in the in the 90s and stories based on him and his friends just getting into trouble and growing up. And I, I can feel it in dope, too, of that American graffiti kind of looseness to the story of just letting kind of where the characters go kind of guide the story. Really? Yeah, where the structure is almost, the story dictates the structure as opposed to the structure dictating the story. Like, it's not just act one, act two, act three kind of a thing. Things kind of meander along as the story evolves and and things happen to the characters and they react to it and it goes in directions you might not be expecting. And in an interview with him about Dope, he describes dope as being about the struggle between bad and worse decisions. (laughs) And I think about that, especially in relation as we're going to be talking about with the believer of the things he's talking about in dope in his earlier work of choice and stereotypes and finding your place, learning who you are versus who society tells you you should be. And Dope's main character, Malcolm, 
is going through all those those same kind of things that you think of the believer that Mando is going through. Definitely the the whole idea of a lot of the choices you make are based on situations you find yourself in that you don't have a choice over and you can't always you don't always have the option to make the the right choice. You have to like you said you have to pick between the bad or worse choice sometimes and that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person it just makes you someone who's trying to survive in the situation that they find themselves in and i think another interesting thing comparing his his older films to star wars 2 is that he has a lot of humor in his writing and it's not maybe immediately apparent in the believer or the prisoner as much that the that the comedy is there but i think even though he didn't write it and there's not a lot of dialogue you can see the comedy part of him coming out in the child it's kind of that thing where if if you can do comedy you can kind of do everything else which tends to turn out to be true a lot of times you get directors and actors who can be funny and if they can be funny they can generally do the drama as well you know, it's like while like thinking back on The Prisoner, it's not like the funniest episode, but watching it again, I was kind of reminded of once Mayfield and his crew come on, how that kind of banter was kind of jarring when when watching Mandalorian season one, because we hadn't really had kind of light, goofy banter within a Mandalorian episode until that point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is a good point because it, it does now two seasons in going back and watching it, it does feel different and it feels it feels right. It doesn't feel jarring because I think we're just used to it now and you can kind of appreciate it for what it is as opposed to comparing it to the couple episodes before it, you know, when in each week us not having any idea what was going to be next. We're still getting such a feel for what was this new Star Wars TV thing. So naive, so young, <laughs> so full of dreams. There's no way they're going to have Boba Fett. No way. Never bring in Luke Skywalker. That would be insane. That'd be going way too far. Well, and, you know, and we're kind of almost proving our point where because, you know, Luke Skywalker is there and Boba Fett is there, you might be distracted and not remembering how good the Rick Famuyiwa episodes are. And it's totally worth before Book of Boba comes and smacks us all in the head, the go back and watch them and, and relive the magic because it's still there. John Favreau explained like we were kind of like this dirty dozen magnificent seven type of crew that he wanted to put together to help tell these stories and wanted the different voices and personalities each of the filmmakers were bringing to the table and wanted to accentuate that and bring that to the world of star wars i hadn't done much television most of what i've done has been in feature films whatever concerns i might have had about working in tv were dispelled by John, and I think in, in the way that he was thinking about what this is. 
we're making a series that's connected, but we're all each been given the, the freedom and the creativity to tell a story as we would making a feature film. Okay, so let's do it. Let's start going into his three episodes. Let's start with The Child. He didn't write this one. He just directed it. This one's written by Jon Favreau. And like we were saying, though, The Child, this episode is just a work of art. Like, this is the episode that you would have thought they would have had Dave Filoni do because it feels like an animated episode that happens to have live action people in it. And it's not, it's the one they had Rick Bamiyua come in and do. And if I think if you had any doubts that he could do star Wars, you wouldn't have them when this episode's done because yeah, with only creatures, hardly any dialogue, it is riveting from start to finish. It's funny has incredible action and he got to be the one to do kind of the the unveiling of Grogu Baby Yoda as having insane force powers. In the middle of all this ridiculous Star Wars nonsense, we get this really heavy moment where he uses the force to stop the Mudhorn. And that's kind of as much as him finding Grogu and at the end of episode one, him kind of using the force at the end of episode two kind of set the, set the stage for everything to come after that. And I hadn't really thought about any of the deep stuff going on in the child, but going back and watching it again, yeah, he didn't write this one, but I wonder if this one resonated with him more because if you watch this one and you think about the theme of trust throughout the entire episode, the other thing, too, it's shocking watching it, too, the stuff Din says in this episode where he's like, weapons are part of my religion and all this stuff. It's like, oh, wow, you really changed. But when this episode starts, he really doesn't trust anyone kind of besides himself. And Quill is really the one who's starting to kind of break that down. And there's the great scene very early on where he's hurt from his fight with the Trandoshans and like the the canyon. And when Grogu tries to heal him and he's like, get away from me, he doesn't trust anyone. And yeah, I think if there's one thing this episode is about, it's trust. Him learning to trust other people. Right, because the only way he survives at the end is Grogu saves him. <laughs> he, he doesn't save the day at the end. Grogu does. He wouldn't even have gotten to that point if he didn't let Quill help him. And if Quill didn't help him, the Jawas wouldn't have helped him. So, yeah, it's the beginning of basically asking for help and being okay with it. And I love at the end of the episode Quill saying to him, good luck with your child. May it survive and bring you a handsome reward. (laughs) But I love that, like, his reward is really kind of his acceptance of who he really is that he isn't this stone cold killer mandalorian bounty hunter that he does have a heart and there is more to life than being a bounty hunter that he can love this child 
and that never showing your face isn't exactly the way. And it's just the beginning of him on his journey. Yeah. Going back to Mandalorian season one is a lot of fun. It holds up. It's still really good. And yeah, I agree with you. This The, the child is, I don't know if I can actually make a list because they would all, half the episodes would be my top. But if I could figure out a way to make a list of my favorites, I think the child would be up there. And I, I got to love now that I realize that uh, Rick is 6'4", so he's like Blast Point's height. The the joke in the Sandcrawler where Mando keeps hitting his head on the ceiling <laughs> makes even more sense. And I get, I, I get where he's coming from. Because that was always one of my favorite parts because I've done that many times. I love like making these stories about misfits and, and folks and that don't actually ever get the cameras pointed at them. So for me, like the Jawa stuff and just seeing this monster, you know, sand crawler tread in the middle of the volume was like, I'm actually in Star Wars in this moment because, you know, uh, here is I'm standing underneath the sand crawler, and then you look at the volume, and you go underneath it, and it's like you're really looking up at the sand crawler, and and it was just, and that was for me like that one of the most uh, rewarding and and crazy experiences of someone who just loves Star Wars. It's like this is the scale. It's like I could actually feel what the yeah. scale of this mm -hmm. thing really was um, and even though I had you know you play with it and you know that this is what it is re relation to your figures to be in it was pretty like you had to actually sound. talk to the Jawas yeah. you had a lot of Jawa yeah, um, I had a lot of a lot of Jawa work they were the only things that were alive <laughs> <laughs> and before we move on to the prisoner him coming on in episode two was such a cool surprise. It was such an amazing episode. And there's not a whole lot of info out there on how he got involved in The Mandalorian early on. Like, what did you find when we were trying to figure that out? Yeah, the most I could find was he did a an interview for Pro Video Coalition, which I think was just like talking about the volume and just the the digital technology they were using. And they asked him how he became involved with the show. And he says he had some development meetings at Lucasfilm and met Carrie Beck, who was co-producing the show. And she later called and asked if I'd be interested in meeting about Star Wars on TV. And of course, he said, of course, I would love to. And it sounds like he met with Jon Favreau very early on. And he says, I met with Jon Favreau and might have been the first person other than Dave Filoni he was talking to about this. And it sounds like they just talked and hit it off, and Favreau asked him if he wanted to join up on the show. So it, it does sound like he was one of the first, if not first, of the the crew of directors that John put together for the season. And again, if it was Carrie Beck, if it was Kathleen Kennedy, who knows who saw his earlier work and thought this is the kind of person that we need at Lucasfilm. Again, that's the way to go. <laughs> like you said, someone that knows character and story and can write with humor and maybe someone who isn't trying to make Star Wars, but is trying to make American graffiti. <laughs> that's the secret to Star Wars. Try to make American graffiti. And then you end up with Star Wars because that's what Lucas did. 
having to make American graffiti in space, and he got Star Wars. The DNA is all there, yeah. Well, and that brings us to The Prisoner, which he co-wrote this one with Rebels writer Christopher Yost. And The Prisoner is such a cool one because I remember that morning really well. And it was another morning where when The Prisoner started, just the week before that, we were on Tatooine. We had the Spurs and everyone was, do you remember that week after the Spurs where everyone's like, next week we're going to find out who the Spurs person was nope <laughs> we're on some space station with zilnor the crazy beard my man old good she how you being <laughs> just jumping right into something totally different i love that about the mandalorian that like we said like we you never know what you're getting week to week and it starts out and we're like oh this is this is gonna be a wild one and the prisoner is still a wild one and also, this is one that was a huge turning point in Mando's character. This episode, in particular, like this is the episode where Mando begins to admit to himself he is not the person who he used to be. And I think watching season two makes the prisoner even better than it was like two years ago. Oh, I would agree. And watching. The Prisoner and The Believer back-to-back, they're literally like part one and two in a lot of ways and go really well together. Totally. That's the, the Rick trilogy. Like This is part two. The Believer is part three. And here in part two, it's, the seeds are planted for what eventually pays off in part three because just like in Dope, it's those same themes coming up. It's choice. It's finding your place. Who are you versus who society tells you you should be? And how do you find who you really are? It's so great in those early scenes when Mando is with, like, these people he used to, like, run jobs with. And they're just gleefully talking about, yeah, remember all those people we killed back on that one mission? (laughs) It's the great thing with Mando, too, that the mask acting of the Mandalorian. You can feel his uncomfortableness where you know just in the handful of episodes of season one that you saw before this episode. And yeah, again, especially now with season two, making it even heavier, that's not who he is anymore. He is not that kind of person. And when they go into like the whole prison thing, And the brother that they rescue, the weird brother, and how he kind of leaves his sister behind, doesn't care if she dies. That kind of complete disrespect for family and not caring about family at all, it hits heavier now. Because you know that Mando is already considering himself to be a dad. (laughs) Even though he doesn't want to admit it to anyone. Well, I still vividly remember that morning you know, just how much emotionally this episode was all over the place. Because like you said, when he's with his old crew and you can, you can feel how uncomfortable he is. And then the scene in the ship, when they accidentally open the little closet and Grogu comes out and Bill Burr's holding on to him. And it was like, literally like, I'm going to throw up because I don't want him to drop him. And then they have him drop him. Like, it's like, 
I'm traumatized from that first viewing of like just like not wanting it to be over because it was just so tense in some of those parts. What is that? <laughs> you get lonely up here, buddy? Huh? Wait a minute. Did you two make that? Huh? Dropping out of hyperspace now. Well, in addition to just the, you know, the dramatic parts of the episode, too, we got to give Rick credit for giving us one of the best Mando just using all of his gadgets, well, multiple action scenes. But the big one with the droids, like, you know, in the in the behind the scenes stuff, they talk about how originally all the droids on the ship were going to be those floating ones. And... Rick was having so much fun with the previous stuff. Like he wanted, he was like, can they have arms and legs? Cause I want to do some more interesting action. And they were like, okay, let's have Doug Chang design some robots with arms and legs so we can do this really cool stuff that they were doing previous for. So if, if that was all he contributed to star Wars was getting those Republic droids created, that would be enough. And the, the tension builds and builds and builds throughout this episode just so wonderful and i don't know again like like quill saying like may may this uh child bring you reward the line in this one that kind of hit me during the rewatch was when the goofy twilight dude says to him aren't you a man of honor and mando doesn't quite really know what to say but again especially after season two Watching it, you're sitting at home and you're like, yeah, he is. <laughs> well, in, in The Prisoner, I mean, he kind of is starting to believe that he is. Because at that point, we think, the audience, we think he killed everybody. Because, you know, he probably should have. But later on, we realize that he he is changed because he just locked them all and left them in a cell. You know, the old Mando probably would have killed them all. In the absolutely brilliant ending where he just – he leads the New Republic pilots, one of which played by Rick, to the space station. And as he flies away, he gives Grogu the ball, the famous ball from the top of the gear thing. And that's who he is now. Well, and and with the ball thing too, the the idea of being just as strong at telling the story visually as telling the story through dialogue. And it's not a situation where some people are very visual and they can make these stories that are visual and the dialogue is optional. And there's people who make very talky movies and the visuals are optional. And these are the best type of movies, shows where the dialogue and the visuals are both equally pulling their weight. And again, it's what we're saying in this whole episode. That's why Rick was a great choice to come in and do Star Wars. Because that's what he was doing in his earlier movies. And putting that intelligence and that skill of filmmaking and that not doing Star Wars, doing American Graffiti kind of spirit. I don't know about you two watching this episode again, now that there's the Trapper Wolf action figure coming out. I was really sad that we don't have the Rick and Deborah pilot ones coming out at the same time. Like I get it's Dave Filoni. He's been around a while, 
he's kind of a big deal. But it's like, man, I really want all three of them. I want a Disney Gallery action fun set of them sitting around a table. Oh, I miss the the prequel days of of play sets that were just tables. We really need those back. Yeah. And if you send in all your proofs of purchase, you can get a John Nolan, a Hal Hickle. <laughs> all the kids want that. You could take Hal Hickle's glasses off. Maybe they can have com chips and John Favreau can just interrupt everybody all the time. <laughs> like all these com chips are just John Favreau. I want to hear Bryce Dallas Howard talk. Oh, uh, you know, so and then and then by and then on six it was just great to again have people. <laughs> well that was the opposite. That was only people. And that's one that you, you wrote on. You know, I mean so that was cool because that was your voice too. Yeah, exactly. I like that one a lot. Yeah, no, it's because that, that was Well that was, that's when you start to realize that we had different voices and different different filmmakers for them. Yeah, yeah. Because when we shut to Disney like they were like that one's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, each one's like a little mini movie, and that was the heist movie. Yeah, exactly. So I like that. Exactly. We really stuck to those rules, and we talked about that a lot. Exactly. And I think exactly. it works good, and it shows that Mando like, doesn't want to go with his old crowd. You killed the others. They got what they deserved. You kill me, he don't get your money. Whatever I promised, I'll make sure you get it. And more. Come on, Mando. Be reasonable. Huh? You were hired to do a job, right? So do it. Isn't your code? Aren't you a man of honor? But that brings us to The Believer. Written this time just by Rick, directed by Rick. I knew the morning that this episode came out, kind of like The Jedi, the, the Filoni episode with Ahsoka, that this was going to be one that was going to be around for a while. It's like when you watch Visions, you know that like the Village Bride and the Ninth Jedi, it's like, yeah, we're going to be hearing about these for a while. (laughs) And The Believer, yeah, it is a totally different kind of Star Wars than we ever had before. Like when I think back to The Believer, I swear like the, the tank ride part, with Mando and Mayfield. Like in my head, that's like a half hour long conversation. But when you go back and watch it, it's really just a handful of lines. But those handful of lines are so impactful and so insightful that it feels like they're longer. Well, and, and what's so good with that episode too is that you can tell there's a different writer, but it doesn't feel at all like a different show and it doesn't feel at all like it's not star wars but you can tell that it's star wars with little something extra mixed in i think as much as din becomes a believer at the end of the episode everyone watching at home becomes a believer and like his other episodes there's humor and the humor's great there is the deepest of deep thoughts discussions and talking 
There's incredible action scenes with the hand-to-hand combat fight on the truck. There's Slave One action. It's like going back and watching The Believer now. What are the big themes that you're taking out of it? Because that's the cool thing, like this episode, like, you know, like Star Wars. You ask five different people what the themes of Star Wars are. You're going to get some common answers, but maybe the first one that someone says most always will be different. So for you going back and rewatching it now, yeah, what, what, what were you taking out of it? Well, I think the big one was just the idea that really everyone is the same. And there's no good guys and there's no bad guys. It's just people surviving and doing the best they can with the situation that they're in. And one of the brilliant things with this episode is the is the whole idea that by the end of the truck chase, we've all flipped to being Imperials and we cheer when the TIE fighters come. And we're relieved that they came and killed the bad guys who are actually the people who just want the... Imperials off their planet, us as the viewer, kind of because we're reacting to the situation that our our heroes are in, kind of make the best choice we can, which is actually turns us into the bad guy. And the same with Mayfield's character of, I remember not liking him at the end of The Prisoner. Like, he was a bad guy and he was someone that you didn't like. And by the end of this episode, he's now a character you like and you want him back in season three. It's like this episode so brilliantly talks about the roles that all of these characters play in this universe. And you can, you can apply that to the real world too, of, you know, the way you think you should be. But when, just like in this episode, when you've got to come to that line it's like when Mayfield says, when things get messy, what's the choice you're going to make? Where Mayfield, like, calling out Mando and being like, what's the difference? Like, you take your helmet off for that, but you won't for this. What's the difference? In about five minutes, when things get messy, you're going to take your helmet off. And he does. And again, we've been saying it over and over again in this episode, but it's it's the thing that you can apply that back to the same stuff that's going on in Rick's earlier films at that same kind of message of who are you versus who people think you should be or who you think you should be because those people think you should be this and the real you kind of getting lost underneath all that stuff. And I think that's Mayfield in this episode and I think that's especially Din. And it's clear as day sim- symbolism when he takes the helmet off, breaks his ultimate rule, and doesn't even care for the face scan to find Grogu. Because that's what's really important to him. That's the truth for him at that moment. Like, that is the way. The new way, his way, to find this little creature that he cares so much about. And if you haven't watched Dope before, go back and watch Dope and think of that a whole idea. And it's all over there. Well, and we even kind of get a similar arc with Mayfield, too, who, who when we've previously seen him is kind of like the tough guy and trying to be you know, the tough guy. And by the end, we kind of realize that the tough guy is 
kind of his his helmet that he takes off when he gets the opportunity to be face to face with his old commander and you realize that there's you know pain there from losing people when he was a soldier he maybe makes a bad choice but maybe it's a good choice when he decides to shoot him the empire dude is actually true evil <laughs> Right. And I love his quote, too. I love his quote where he's, everybody thinks they want freedom, but what they really want is order. And when they realize that, they're going to welcome us back with open arms to the empire. It's such a grisly and timely and very real kind of quote. And it's, you know, it's, when this episode came out, it was like, whoa. <laughs> well, and, and it tying into the whole theme, too, so much that. A lot of what order is, is everyone knowing who they're supposed to be and being who they're supposed to be and who the people that decide what order is want them to be and not being free to be who they are and do what makes them feel right. As Din is sitting there without his helmet and Mayfield has dropped his symbolic helmet and is now nice guy Mayfield. It's the end of the Rick trilogy. It's the return of the Jedi of the Rick trilogy. <laughs> it's bringing all the big themes home, wrapping it up and handing it right to you. It really is. At the heart of what I wanted to do with this episode was that, you know, I think where we we see Star Wars sometimes in stark ways. You know, there's the light and, and the dark and, and there's the rebels or the empire. What I really wanted to do was just kind of have this conversation about that and that these things aren't always as black and white and that there's so much gray, and especially when we're talking about power and, and, and the use of power and the transfer of power. For me, I felt like, let's see how far we can keep pushing things and how much bigger we can tell these stories. Hey, I'm just a realist. I'm a survivor, just like you. Let's get one thing straight. You and I are nothing alike. I don't know. Seems to me like your rules start to change when you get desperate. I mean, look at you. You said you couldn't take your helmet off, and now you got a stormtrooper one on. So what's the rule? Is it that you can't take off your Mando helmet or you can't show your face? Because there is a difference. Look, I'm just saying. We're all the same. Everybody's got their lines they don't cross until things get messy. And with all of these two, the titles, like The Believer, like we were saying, The Believer could mean so many different things. Also, like the prisoner, or also you could go deep and you could say the child means several different things. That's going real deep. But I would say the prisoner and the believer also very multiple meanings. And the opening title card for dope is that very thing where it says the word dope and it lists like the three different definitions of that word. Kind of already getting you in going into that movie of thinking that we're saying several different things in this film. The Believer definitely is riding that same wave. It's that Star Wars by way of American graffiti magic. Don't go in wanting to make the next THX 1138. May, or maybe do. I don't know. You always got to mix that in a little bit as a seasoning. Take your American graffiti, sprinkle on a little THX. It's the garlic powder. 
of the recipe. You don't want to do too much because they're going to have everybody coughing and being like, how much garlic did you put in this? Maybe some people are garlic crazy. Me, you know, I'm a THX. I'm like sprinkle that whole jar of THX in there. That's fine with me. <laughs> so, yeah, Rick is now attached to direct Children of Blood and Bone, Lucasfilm's potentially most interesting upcoming project because it is the project that is not Star Wars related, isn't Indiana Jones related, Willow related. It's the one, it was, it was at the Investor's Day didn't get a lot of talk, but it's the one that's like, man, I bet that's going to be good. Yeah, that's the one I want to hear something about because it's exciting for Lucasfilm to get back to stuff they haven't done before. And the concept is really interesting. And anything that Rick Famuyua does is interesting with more crazy magic sci-fi fantasy type stuff well and thanks to the mandalorian he has become one of my favorite new directors out there yeah i will watch anything he does he can do a airline safety video and we're gonna work that into the trilogy and be talking about the themes going on in it because it's probably going to be incredible that was again when it started to get not that it wasn't fun to begin with but it was a different level of how you can could use this because now we were you know now i could go immediately from what was in my head to talking to stunt coordinator and his players and having that captured in real time and putting that right into the previs and so now and you it's would set not, cameras on yeah, top of and that and so we're setting cameras and so i was now, watching cuts of your scene as though yeah, you had shot it already exactly mm, and yeah. now it's not you're having a conversation with third floor and chris you know you're you're now you're creating that in on the fly and so it was uh you know and and, and i remember when you were like we're going to play with this on on this i was really excited because it was like yeah you were the first you know yeah we had talked about you know, some of the fight stuff that I I like, and we both have the, the, a certain affinity for, you know, for samurai and kung fu films. And so, you know, this was like, okay, we can actually do this with our guys in the moment, you know, as we would for, and, you know. And what we sequence was that, that you were this doing? Was the, this was the sequence when Mando is, uh, is going to break out, um, going to break out Xi'an, and, uh, and so he's... Strikes Back Collection. Action figures each sold separately. Chewbacca's hurt too. FX7 has eight movable arms. The medical droid did it. You saved me, Rebel Soldier. Why? When the Force is with you, your duty is to do good. FX7, Rebel Soldier, Imperial Stormtrooper, and Chewbacca. Action figures each sold separately from Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back Collection from Kenner. This is Captain Rex. You're listening to Jason and Gabe on Blast Points. And these 
Last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. with Apple Podcast Reviews. When you get done listening to this, go over there, write something nice about Blast Points. It helps the show, it helps more people find the show, and we really do love reading those Apple Podcast Reviews. And check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com, and make sure you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you are a member of our Super Chill group. If you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon. Tons of our old Mando review episodes, Clone Wars, Bad Batch review episodes, and our ongoing retrospective looking back at the Episode 1 classic making of documentary, The Beginning. Just had a new episode a couple weeks ago, something like that. It's a really funny one. So, yeah, that's all over there on the Patreon. But that about wraps up this episode, the Rick trilogy of Mando episodes. If it's been a while since you've watched those episodes, go back, watch them again, because they are amazing. And they go really well as a trio. Just jump from one to one to one, and it's fun. (laughs) I know it's really hard going back to Mando episodes and not watching like tragedy and watching the boba parts and watching Luke come out. It's hard going back and not watching those, but revisit some old Mando classics. It's really worth it. But yeah, we will be back next week with another new episode. So until then, everybody, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. was completely different for me because I come from independent film and smaller films and there was no boards you know you just sort of go in you're writing and you you know you with your team of of of, of bandits you go make your movie <laughs> and so so the whole process of of previs and 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 building the story out beforehand uh, was new to me, so it was like, oh, I wish that's what happens when you get a little money. <laughs> <laughs> May the force be with.